Good morning. I'm tired. I need a nap now. Now I know why Cruz and Jordan don't play when they preach. I'm old too, but not as old as Tim, so I think I can handle it. Today, we're going to talk about who are we? Why do we exist? I know my wife sometimes probably asks, who is he? <laughs> uh, but that's a different conversation, not, probably not for here. Um, I'm going to be looking at some scripture in Romans 12. Uh, <clears throat> we're also um, coming upon an anniversary for our church, 24th anniversary of this church. Uh, try to a reminder of why we started. And I believe there's going to be cake of some sort for everyone afterwards. So I didn't make it, so. But, you know, today, uh, first of all, obviously, I want to say thank you for being here. For those of you who don't know, know me, I'm Michael Pittman. Um, Tim is under the weather, has COVID, and asked for a pinch hitter. So hopefully I can do a Kirk Gibson on this one. And uh, any baseball references? Did anybody get that? Probably too old for you. Anyway, that's all right. Thank you to Dennis for preaching last week. Uh, I'm not going to shake it off or dance like he did. In fact, <laughs> there's some things about that dancing I'm trying to shake off mentally, but that's okay. Uh, we're okay. I love you, Dennis. If you're listening, please don't take that too harshly. Um, but we're blessed here. We've got folks who uh, can step up and fill in and do, uh, my, myself the least of them. So today we're going to start talking about a new series entitled, Who Are We? The series is basically a reminder of who we are as a church. What do we believe? What are our core values here? What is our mission? And you might say that all churches, all Christian churches have a mission. Certainly we could say the Great Commission is the mission of every Christian church. If it's not, it should be. We are to make disciples who will follow Christ with wholehearted devotion. We believe it is every Christian's duty and privilege to live in such a way as to honor God. But this begs the question, who do we honor in life? How do we honor them? Some examples, our nation honors its heroes. We've got folks standing guard, an honor guard that stands watch over the tomb of the unknown soldier, honoring the sacrifice that that person made. And it happens every day. Rain, snow, sleet, hail, doesn't matter. That honor is always bestowed. We give out a medal of honor for those who've gone above and beyond the call of duty in the service of their nation. I'm sure if you're sports fans, you'll realize that we have rings of honor around stadiums where past athletes from teams, jersey numbers, etc., are honored. We have numbers hanging from the rafters. Some teams even retire numbers of the greatest players. Some leagues even retire numbers of the greatest player. Hockey, NHL, Wayne Gretzky, number 99, will never be worn again by any other player. That's an honor bestowed upon him because he's considered the greatest. And that's my only Homer reference from Canada today, so I'll leave it at that. And I'm going to step up here because I'm here to squeak, and I'm like, wow, I thought I lost some weight. But anyway, um, <laughs> at some workplaces, you might see a picture of the employee of the month. This is to honor the hard work that that person may have done, may include customer service, helping out a team, just going above and beyond. 
In schools, we have the honor roll. Parents for pictures, uh, if you had your kids go to Wintergreen. Um, indicating, this, indicating and recognizing students who have achieved a level of success in their schoolwork. And I think that's important. We need to motivate the children. At the end of school years, there are often honors given to student athletes for their academic or sports achievements. So I think it's pretty easy to say we understand the concept of showing honor. And it is a good thing to give respect and honor to those who have earned it. In fact, Scripture encourages us to do so. And we'll read in Romans 13, 7. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. So you might ask, why do we bring this up? And please forgive me, it's just kind of dry. Um, why do we bring it up? Well, you know, I'm concerned, and I'm sure there's others who have concerns, that while we are quick to show honor and respect to people, talk about fallen heroes, Medal of Honor recipients, athletes, students, so I think sometimes we often fall short in giving God the honor and respect he is due. So today I'm going to talk about some things that may challenge you. None of it's meant to offend. If it does step on your toes, understand it's also stepping on my own equally as well. Uh, I'm not here to preach at you. I'm here to share the same struggles that we all face as Christians. So the problem, not sure why it is. Maybe it's just our sinful nature. Why is it we often fail to give God the honor and respect he's due? Our sinful nature. Maybe we just don't care to honor God. We're so busy honoring our own desires and wishes. I got a tea time. I got to go play golf. I got family coming over. If honoring God requires any effort on our part, many times we just make excuses. Guilty as charged. I was just too tired. I was too busy. I had company. I lost track of time. But the truth is, let's boil it down to what it is. It just isn't important to me. You know what I found in my time here on this earth is that I pretty much can do what I want to do. I have the choice of free will. And I typically find myself doing what's important to me. If God is the priority in my life, it doesn't matter if I'm busy or tired or have friends or family over. I'm not going to lose track of time because it's going to be the priority that I'm following. You see, we believe the things that are important to us will be evident when we are busy, tired, or hanging out with friends. So when we honor God, this is when we honor God the most. So our big idea for today is this. We exist to build relationships that honor God and lead to transformation in Christ. Let's read that again. If you could read it with me, the interactive portion of the program here. We exist to build relationships that honor God and lead to transformation in Christ. Pretty powerful. Transformation's the key. We want to be transformed from a people, and that includes me, who only care about ourselves and what we want, our selfish desires. We want to get away from that. <clears throat> we want to focus on what God wants and, and has in store for our life. 
Honoring God with our lives is the expectation. Read that again. Expectation of a follower of Christ. I truly believe that a person who has been transformed by Christ will live a life that honors God. And let's read in Romans 12 too. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Part of that is our minds have to change when it comes to what is most important to us. Our minds, the thought process behind it, that has to change. When we give our lives to Christ, His Spirit will come in and change us. He changes our hearts and our minds. And when we are transformed, we begin to understand what pleases God. We begin to seek those things in our lives that will bring Him glory. Ultimately, transformation in Christ is what we want. Every true disciple of Christ is a transformed follower of Christ. That transformation is a thing that happens daily. It's not just flip a switch and it's done. It has to happen daily. And that's what sanctif sanctification is all about. We are daily in the process of being renewed. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being, here's this word again, transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So what does Paul write there? When we are contemplating God's glory, we are transformed more and more into his image. We are becoming more and more like Christ in the way we think, the way we speak, the way we act, and the way we live. And I think that transformation is important cover all facets of our lives. It's one thing to act one way, but if, you don't, if your thoughts and your heart don't follow, what's it all about? Think about it. We cannot do this without the transformation that comes through Christ. But when we are being transformed, there are some things that will happen to us. And we're going to talk about what those things are as we spend our time together today. I think we would all agree we believe the church is about relationships that honor God, right? Let's look first at our relationship with God. If you have a relationship with the members, and I'm pleased to say I do, uh, my wife and I, my family and I have been here 20 years, and I'm blessed to have some wonderful relationships with the people here, our church family. So if you've got a relationship like that with the members, but you don't have a relationship with Jesus, then you're not saved and can't be transformed. So, obviously, the relationship with Jesus has to come first, period, full stop. There are many people who go to church who don't know Christ. They even go through the motions, but it's evident by their lifestyle that they don't know Jesus. And again, that's not said with any condemnation or, or judgment, but it is a statement. And it's a challenge to us. If you find yourself in that particular situation where you're going through the motions, I encourage you to challenge yourself and think about, how can I change this? John 14, 15 says, If you love me, keep my commands. If someone is ignoring the commands of Jesus and not honoring God, it is obvious that they don't love Jesus. And if you don't love Jesus, 
you have no relationship with God. That love is the key component. Second, our relationships with other people should honor God. We understand that God created the concept of church so that his people could have fulfilling relationships with each other. It goes back to what I just said a few minutes ago. I know I have tremendously fulfilled relationships here. As a Christian, every relationship I have should honor him. And we believe that all of our relationships should honor God. We also believe that those relationships should be intentional to help in transforming the lives of others. I mean, isn't that the point? To develop the relationship, help people transform, draw closer to God? Only the Spirit of God can transform us. But we can use our relationships to help people connect with God, and through that connection, they can be spiritually transformed. Everyone needs a spiritual mentor of some sort, a spiritual accountability partner. Just think about all of that as it ties into this process of relationships and transformation. Let's talk about how we honor God in just about every aspect of our lives. The transformed person will, firstly, honor God with their time. How are you using the precious time that you have to bring glory to God each and every day? So Tim wrote this. Again, I think one of the requirements to preach today was being able to read English. <laughs> I'm... Uh, Tim put some numbers in here that are grossly inflated compared to a young person like myself. But he's talking about how many minutes and hours and days he's lived on this earth. Gross exaggeration. Um, but anyway, Tim is talking about, I'm going to use this example because I didn't want to do the math on myself. Uh, he's had about 33,199,200 minutes of life on this earth. You can figure out how old he is later. This equates to 553 1,320 hours, or 23,055 days. That would be 3,293 weeks. Now that I've got you all asleep, if I gave one hour, one hour a week at worship, and that's all I did, and that was the extent of my relationship with God, that means Tim gives God, to date, 3,293 hours out of 553 and some thousand. Now, you don't need to be Einstein to do the math there. That's 0.006%. Think about that. You give one hour a week for your entire life, 0.006% of his life he's given to God. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're dedicating less, much less than 1% of your time in a relationship with any of your earthly relationships, how do you think those are going to go? Not very well. I know there's days probably my family doesn't want me around, but there's a, there's a middle ground somewhere between 0.006% and, and what's, what's healthy. So I guess what I'm saying, and this is the part that I'm challenging with, is it simply enough to come and sit in a seat and attend a service and be part of corporate worship. All good things, but is that simply enough? Because if you do the logic and the math that we just figured out, you're probably going to be about 0.006% of your time devoted to God. I don't think there's much transformational 
relationship building happening there. It has to be more than just showing up to church on Sunday. I know I'm starting to sound preachy, but I mean, this is the reality of it. Who are we? Why do we exist? It has to be more than just showing up to church on Sunday. It's more than just attending corporate worship. Because life goes by too fast. I think we'll read in Psalms 144.4, they are like a breath. Their days are like a fleeting shadow. And even though Tim wrote this next part, I can tell you with certainty that it applies to me as well. I can tell you as I've gotten older, uh, it feels like life flies by. You may be 20 right now and say, oh man, time is so long. But mark my words, there will be a day that comes when time just flashes before your eyes. I mean, it seems like just yesterday, Josh got home from state for, to celebrate Christmas. And what are we at now? January 7th. He goes, he goes back today. It's a blink. It's a blur. And as you get older, that happens much more readily. So, what's the moral of the story? Be wise in how you spend your time. Make sure that God is at the center of your time. Period. God required those who were Jewish to take a day to honor him. Failure to do so was a serious matter. Being a God follower was not just a social thing, a happening thing. It wasn't the country club. It was a serious thing. In Isaiah, God had Isaiah remind his people of this truth. In Isaiah 58, 13, and 14, we'll read, If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight, and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. By taking the time to worship God and to follow God, we are not wasting our time. We are redeeming our time. So we honor God with the time he has given us by worshiping him every day. It's not just about the corporate worship that happens in here. I know sometimes during the invitation, as part of my prayer, I've said, may our worship not stop when we leave those doors back here. And I think that is so important. It's important to have family worship at home. Personal worship. Time for reflection. Every act of obedience to God is a form of worship. Every time we say yes to God, when His Spirit compels us to service, we worship and honor Him. Using our time to do good in His name is a way of honoring God. When you serve others, are you doing it in your name or are you doing it in His? Do you say to people, praise God, or I am doing this in the name of Jesus? Again, it's back to that mindset. Why am I doing this? Thinking about what's motivating you to do it. Paul wrote in Colossians 4, 5, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Those who are transformed by the Spirit of God will make sure that they make the most of their time to honor God. So we've talked about time. The next T is talents. Let's honor God with our talents. 
These are your God-given gifts and abilities. God has gifted us all. And we all want to discover how we are gifted so we can use those gifts to his glory. Not everybody's good at everything. We each, that's what makes this church body, our church family here so great, is everybody has special talents and abilities to bring to different situations. Like, you put me back in the children's ministry, folks are going to leave or we're going to have a ton of complaints. <laughs> it's just the way it is. I'm probably a lot more comfortable over here, not as comfortable here, um, but we all have different abilities. My brothers, Greg and Alan, you know, they take care of a lot of the facilities and grounds around the building. Like, you guys are awesome. You've got a unique set of talents in addition to being just awesome guys. You've got a unique set of talents that help keep this aging building functioning as best it could. You know, and that's just a couple of examples. We've all got different things. Jesus shared a parable recorded in Matthew 25. The story was of a wealthy man who went on a journey and left his possessions with three servants. You've probably heard this one before. He gave one of them five bags of gold and to another two bags, and to the third he gave one bag of gold. One day he came back and discovered that the man who had been entrusted with the five bags of gold had invested it and received five more bags. He discovered that the man entrusted with two bags of gold had invested them, and he received two additional bags. But the man who was entrusted with one bag was afraid, and instead of risking the gold, he buried it so no one could steal it. Now, you might understand the man's thought process. Well, I'm keeping it safe. It's locked away. It's not going to lose its value. And you might think that the wealthy man would be happy just to get it back as it was. Well, that's not the case. The master was angry. And he said in Matthew 25, 26, and 30, His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Whew. He was mad. To the servants who honored the master with what he had, been, what he had entrusted to them, he said, in Matthew 25, 21. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. So what does that teach us? Well, to me, it says, I don't want to waste the talents or gifts God has given me. I can bury them. Nobody can see him. It's like the great singer, just singing in the shower, but not singing for other people to hear. That's the, <laughs> the old cliche we always fall back on. It's a waste in many ways to not use your talents to glorify God. The real problem is that when we use our talents in the name of... Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. 
we, the problem is that when we use our talents in the name of God, we give him glory. Tim, I don't like the way you wrote that. <laughs> the fact of the matter is, is we give glory to God when we use our talents. Like I said, if you have complaints about the sermon, talk to Tim. If you like it, talk to me. Um, Tony Dungy is a retired football player and coach who has been very clear about why he does what he does. He said, when I got to the Steelers, I was kind of shocked because growing up, I was focused on, I want to be a good player. That was his focus. I got to the highest level of the sport, and I saw all these Christian guys on the team. And that Christian walk was important to them. And it really kind of blew me away. It made me realize that what my mom said was true. It's not what you do in life, it's how you do it, and more importantly, who you're doing it for. These guys were doing it for the Lord, and it made a big impact on me. He and many others give glory, give God the glory for their abilities because they know they are God-given. That doesn't mean they haven't had to hone their skills and practice and work at it. Of course you do. But that means they were born with certain talents. They didn't ask for them. God just created them that way. So the honor goes to him. And by using those talents for God, they honor him. So the transformed person understands this. The next T in our list. The transformed person also understands that they must honor God with their temple. This means your body. Scripture often describes the body as the temple of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body, their own temple. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So what's that telling us? To me, it seems kind of simple. We're, what we do in our bodies is a reflection of our relationship with God. The person who is not transforming him or herself into the image of God is remaining in the sinful nature of the flesh. Galatians 5 explains it this way. And we look at Galatians 5, 16 through 21. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, Selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Spelled up pretty clearly. If we are still chasing the things that the world offers and the lusts of the flesh, we aren't seeking to honor God. And this is a sign that we are not transforming into the image of Christ. We need to keep that in mind. The whole goal here is to transform into the image of Christ. We are remaining 
in the image of the world. So you have to ask yourself, do you, does your use of your body honor God or is it self-serving? Are you using your body to simply gratify your own passions or are you submitting yourself to the will of God? And I've read about many people who have been held captive to their sin and to pleasing their own passions. And Tim shares a story with us here. Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, she was a former tenured professor at the University of Syracuse. She was a committed and comfortable lesbian until she had what she described as a train wreck conversion to Christ. At one point in her life, she wrote, as an unbelieving professor of English, an advocate of postmodernism, and an opponent of all totalizing meta-narratives like Christianity, I would have added back in the day, I found peace and purpose in my life as a lesbian and the queer community I helped to create. This is Dr. Butterfield. Today, she's married to Pastor Kent Butterfield and mother of four adopted children and numerous foster children. After her conversion or transformation, she described an encounter with a female counselor who wanted Dr. Butterfield to bend her message about homosexual practice. The woman asked Dr. Butterfield to state publicly that homosexual practice is not inherently wrong. So Dr. Butterfield writes further. When I entered her office, she directed me to a comfortable chair and made one simple request. Rosaria, I want you to change your message. And Dr. Butterfield responds, I found this a bold and disarming request, and so I told her that I come in the gospel of peace. She said, change your message. So finally, Dr. Butterfield asked her, what do I need to change in my message? And she said, tell people that it, it is only in your opinion that homosexual practice is a sin. And so Dr. Butterfield responded by letting her know that she's not smart enough to have this opinion, but that this is the position, the inspired an inerrant word of God upholds. Inspired and inerrant word of God upholds that. It comes to me from the historic Christian church through the pages of scripture and so on down to me. I told her that changing my message would involve denying the plain meaning of scripture, the testimony of the church, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and the gospel. But to the postmodern mind, her request seems reasonable enough. Just own this position of mine as a personal point of view. But claiming something that is a universal truth to be a mere matter of personal preference is a lie by omission. This is the Bible's message, and apart from Christ, I am more condemned by it than the woman who, woman who made this request. And that comes from Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, as I mentioned, openness unhindered, further thoughts of an unlikely convert on sexual identity and union with Christ. So Dr. Butterfield did not come to that conclusion on her own. The Spirit of God brought her to that conclusion and transformed her thinking, which is the challenge to all of us, transform our thinking. Dr. Butterfield no longer wants to practice sexual immorality. She treats her body as that temple that it is. But she wants to honor God with her body, her temple. The transformed person will also honor God with their treasure. This means your money. I know a lot of people tend to think that when folks get up to church and start talking about money, they were asking for more. No, I'm, I'm not doing that today. And I just want to say, this church congregation has always 
risen to the challenge. When we've had challenges with budgets or income or, or whatever, this church has always been faithful. So I'm not here to ask anything of you. I am here to say thank you while we're on the topic of finance. Jesus knew something that we need to recognize, though, when it came with our uh, honoring God with our treasure. He said in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I think we've heard that passage of Scripture several times in our lives. When you spend your money, where you spend your money says a lot about who you are. Where you give your money, if you give money away, says a lot about who you want to honor. In the Old Testament, the Jewish people were required to give a tithe. This was not just a means of taxation, but it was actually a kind of test to see who people trusted. And we read in Proverbs 3.9, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. The tithe was the first, first fruits. The idea was to give God the first and to trust him for the rest. It was all about who do you trust. Do you trust in your own abilities to produce? Or do you trust that God will take your labor and bless it? And that's a very human tension we feel. I've got to work harder. I've got to make more money. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. Last time I checked, folks, you're not in control. Uh, we need to submit to the will of God. At the end of the Old Testament, the prophet Malachi shared the words of the Lord to, to a people who were no longer concerned with honoring God with their resources. And we read in Malachi 3.10, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. So reading further, God accused the people of robbing him, essentially. He blessed them with 100% of what they had. His desire, back to them, was that they give 10% of that to the temple as their tithe to reveal that they trusted him. Just so I'm clear, the tithe is not commanded in the New Testament, but the concept of giving and trusting is certainly still evident. And I encourage you to go read Acts 5 if you want to think about how giving and transparent giving and giving with a joyful heart was approached in the New Testament. But if we left this honoring God with our treasure aspect out of our transformation, I, I think I'd be doing you a disservice because it is a part of it. Do you trust God enough to, begin, to, to give to him wholeheartedly, with an open heart, with a joyful heart? I think a person who's transformed will begin honoring God with their finances. Are you doing that? Are you giving to God with a joyful heart? Does your giving require you to trust or have faith? And I can tell you from a personal experience, my wife and I made some terribly knuckle-headed financial decisions when we were younger, didn't we, dear? And um, she'll probably blame me. That's okay. Um, but I can tell you, it's not about the amount that we give. We made a commitment in our family to give with a joyful heart. And you know, God's blessed us each and every day since then. 
It's not about the numbers on the check. It's about our heart. It's about what God has done for us. And I am telling you, it is real. But you know, you're giving maybe more than just giving in church. I'll tell you a story about Tim Boyle, president and CEO of a Portland-based apparel brand company called Columbia Sportswear. Anybody heard of them? He made the decision to sacrifice almost all of his salary. He's the CEO. He's probably got a fair chunk of change coming in on a weekly basis. He made the decision to sacrifice almost all of his salary so that others within the company could continue to receive a paycheck. Boyle, whose compensation in 2018 exceeded $3 million, was scheduled to make $10,000. A rival to outdoor brands like REI and North Face, Columbia Sportswear was forced to close all of its brick-and-mortar locations after orders to stay at home came about through the coronavirus pandemic. So thus, Columbia Sportswear, the company, invoked a catastrophic pay program, which enabled its 3,500 employees to continue to receive pay during the indefinite closure. We're not doing this for six weeks, guys. We're not doing this for three months. Indefinite closure. In addition to Boyle's own reduction of pay, 10 different upper-level executives volunteered to reduce their pay by 15%. They're not as generous, but they're doing their part. A statement by Boyle on the company website included the following sentence, Columbia has been in business since 1938 and has weathered many storms by keeping our focus, keeping our focus on the well-being of consumers, employees, and the larger community. And I would think that this is certainly a God-honoring decision to consider the needs of others ahead of our own. The transformed person will do this and do it with joy. And the last T to talk about the way the transformed person will honor God is with their ticker their heart. There are many Bible verses that encourage us to make God number one in our heart. He wants to be our first consideration. Isaiah 29, 13, the Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based merely on human rules they have been taught. Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Proverbs 4, 23. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Psalm 51, 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. The church is a community of believers who want to honor God in all these ways. Our purpose is to live in such a way every day that God is honored. Matthew 6, 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So I said at the outset some of this is going to challenge you. It's not meant to offend, not meant to criticize, not meant to judge. But each of us, starting here with me, needs to examine ourselves and ask if we are set on the mission of honoring God in everything we do. There is an old leadership maxim that, maxim that I've used sometimes with employees. 
You have to inspect what you expect. So if you expect to be transformed and to be on fire for God, you've got to do an inspection of yourself. And I think the filter you apply, and my kids have heard me say this till they're ready to vomit, we put God first, who goes second? Others, not yourself. You're last on the totem pole. So it's God first. That's the filter we look at everything when we're doing this inspection. God first, others second, self last. Hard to do some days. Really hard to do some days. Because, man, that, that winter classic hockey game is on, and I want to watch that. But there's something else going on that needs my family's attention. Ah, the heck with them. I'm going <laughs> to. No, that's not the right approach. Or there's something going on at church, and I'm needed there. But there's a big football game on. There may be some big football games on today, championship games, what have you. Um, figure out what your priorities are. Look at life through a different lens, perhaps. You know, as an elder of this church and as a person who's been in this church, and this is my church family and has been for 20 years, it's my mission to help all of you do exactly what I'm saying. Inspect yourselves. Transform yourselves. As a church, we want to transform the faithless into the faithful, the prideful into the humble, the lost into the saved, the worldly into the godly. That is our mission, period. I hope you join me as we try to do this. That is why we exist. And let's go back to that statement again. We exist to build relationships that honor God and lead to transformation in Christ. One more time. We exist to build relationships that honor God and lead to transformation in Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I come before you today. I come before you as, as, as not someone who's preaching to others to do better, but to, to inspect myself and to transform my heart and to transform the way I live my life. I pray that I could be the hands and feet of Jesus in each and everything I do, that my love for Jesus would be the basis for everything. And I pray that that is contagious within our church family and that we can uh, be contagious to those outside our church family not to bring them here to this building necessarily, Lord, but to draw them into relationship with you. That is the most important thing. And Lord, I pray all of this in the name of our blessed Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.